Welcome to worship this morning at Fusion. We're so glad that you're here in person as well as to those of you joining online. Welcome. At this time, we invite you to stand up and greet one another with the peace of Christ. As we continue our worship this morning, hear these words from Acts 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. 
Amen. Let's sing praises to him this morning.
is a, a beautiful morning. Can I get an amen? amen. Yeah, that, a beautiful weekend of weather. Like, where was spring? Like, it was summer, and then tomorrow's winter. But anyway, hey, that's Michigan, life in West Michigan, and uh, it, is, it is a good thing. I mentioned the beauty of, of the weather because the beauty of this day, and one of the things that makes today beautiful is we have the joy and the privilege to claim God's covenant promises in baptism over little Spencer Grace Genzink and to welcome her into the family of God. There's some beautiful pictures up there, up front, and uh, the Genzink family. And so it is a, a joy and a privilege uh, to be here as the community of faith to claim these promises over this little one. A couple things that are happening this morning. Um, first of all, Justin and Andrea are going to be making promises to Spencer as her parents. The other thing that's happening is, is, is we as a church family are also making promises to Spencer, and we'll do that together in just a few moments. Uh, but the most incredible thing, and the thing you cannot miss this morning, is that this morning we acknowledge that God also makes promises, covenant promises to Spencer, according to God's abundant grace and love for this little one, whom he has claimed as his covenant child. And we almost need to pause and take a breath uh, because there is, there is an image of God's love and grace in baptism that we get to witness today. Scriptures testify of God's love and faithfulness extended to his people. God established his covenant with Abraham uh, in the Hebrew scriptures, the Israelite people and the descendants of Abraham. Genesis, this sign of that covenant was sealed, was signed uh, in, in circumcision, which was offered to male infants at eight days old. And Jesus Christ establishes a new covenant uh, in Christ's death and resurrection. And the new sign of that covenant is revealed as baptism. And so we offer this same sign of God's covenant promises that's now extended to all of God's people. As, uh, as Peter will say in Acts 2, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Uh, this, is a, this is for you and for your children. And so we claim those promises and that truth this morning. We offer the gift of baptism for children as well as adults because we know that God's love for us precedes our love for him. Spencer does not understand how deeply she's loved by Andrea, by Justin, by this pastor who keeps talking like, come on, get on with it, she's thinking, by her family who's present here. She doesn't understand how loved she is by this church community already. But it doesn't change the fact that she's loved. It doesn't change the fact that she is your daughter. And so similarly, in the same way, Spencer becomes part of God's family based on her heavenly father's love. And uh, we're going to invite you guys up forward. And I'm going to quit talking. We're going to get to it. Hi, Spencer. How are you, sweetie? Hey, boys, Oliver Parker, what I love to do for siblings, if you want to dip your fingers in the water... Because at one point, how does that feel? Is that nice? That's nice. At one point, you were up here, and we claim these same promises to you. And so every time you maybe have a water fight in the backyard, or I'm spraying you with water. I didn't mean to, but I guess I am. Every time you take a bath or drink some water, it's a reminder that, guess what? You guys are children of God, too. Isn't that a cool gift? Isn't that a cool gift? But... Let's get to it. I, you know, the pastor, we keep talking. Now she's, now she's interested in what's happening. How you doing, sweetie? Isn't she adorable? Can I get an amen? 
Hey, Justin and Andrea, because God has given you the responsibility to love and raise Spencer, I ask you to make the following commitments, and I just ask, after the three questions, just answer, we do God helping us together in unison. Here are the promises. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you accept the promises of God and affirm the truth of the Christian faith, which is proclaimed in the Bible and confessed in this church of Christ? Do you believe that your children, though sinful in nature, are received by God in Christ as members of his covenant and therefore ought to be baptized? And then do you promise in reliance on the Holy Spirit and with the help of the Christian community to do all in your power to instruct Spencer in her Christian faith and to lead her by your example to be Christ's disciples? Justin, Andrea, what is your response? We, we do. do. God helping us. Awesome. Awesome. And now, Fusion family, I invite you to stand as we make promises. We have the, the joy and the privilege to stand alongside this family as they make their promises. We also make promises as uh, the family of God, the body of Jesus Christ. And so uh, I am going to ask you the, this promise, and if, if you agree to that promise, answer in unison, we do God helping us. Uh, family of God, do you promise to receive Spencer in love, to pray for her, to help instruct her in the faith, to encourage and sustain her in the fellowship of believers, people of God, how do you respond? We do, God helping us, amen. And now hear these words uh, from the French Reformed Liturgy as I speak these words of truth over this covenant child. For you, little child, Jesus Christ has come. He has fought, he has suffered. For you, he entered Gethsemane and the horror of Cal Calvary. For you, he uttered the cry, it is finished. For you, Spencer, he rose from the dead and ascended into heaven. And there he intercedes for you. All this was done for you, little one, though you do not know any of this yet. But we will continue to tell you this good news until it becomes your own. And so the promise of the gospel is fulfilled. We love him because he first loved us. Amen. God's people say if you agree. Amen. Amen. And so family, let's, let's gather around the baptismal font. Boys, if you want to see what's happening, are you interested? There you go. Good big brother. Spencer, you know what? You may be seated. I forgot that. You guys are just going to stand there the rest of the... <laughs> oh... Spencer Grace, you are loved. Spencer Grace, I baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And we celebrate as a people of God this morning. Let's, let's praise God. There you go. If you want to dry your head, you can. All right. Justin and Andrea... Uh, you shared a, a verse that holds special meaning uh, to you both, um, a verse that was read at, at your wedding. And so I want to share that verse as a verse for Spencer Grace as well. Uh, Jesus was asked in Mark chapter 12 by one of the teachers of the law, of all the commandments, which is the most important? And here is Christ's response. The most important one, Jesus answered, is this. Hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart 
with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. And our prayer for little Spencer, for all our children, is that they would be surrounded by parents and family and church family who not only speak that love, but represent that love of Jesus Christ, love of God and love for neighbor. And by the grace of God, that she too will grow and learn to love Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior. Amen. And I have a couple of little little things for you guys. Parker, Oliver, if you want to help me, you want to hold that one? There's a certificate. You can hold that for your sister. Don't open it. <laughs> and then there, Oliver, if you can hold that. And then here's a box with the uh, sealed in there is the French Reformed Liturgy. We ask that uh, when... When the time comes for, for Spencer to make that profession of faith, that's when you get to open that and remember the promises that were fulfilled. Uh, but at this time, I get, to, I get to pray over you guys, if that's okay. Does that sound good, Oliver? Sound good? Okay. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your covenant promises. We thank you, Lord, that you loved us even before we could even understand or acknowledge your love. And, and Lord, this morning, as we baptize little Spencer, Lord, that truth, that reality is, is so represented. Lord, you love her dearly as your daughter. We pray for her, Lord. We pray that, Lord, as she grows, uh, Lord, that she would grow not only in physical stature and, and health and strength, but, Lord, that she would grow in her love and her knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would continue to walk with this family as they raise their children. May we as a church family offer them the support and the love and the encouragement that we promise to do so today. And, Lord, in all of these things, Lord, one day we pray and we look forward to that day when your promises will be fulfilled. And Spencer will stand up here or somewhere else saying, I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. We pray for that in Jesus' name. And God's people say together, amen and amen. All right. And you guys can return to your seat. And uh, at this time, I'm going to continue praying uh, for a congregational prayer. Hear these words from 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. God, we thank you. Lord, one week after Easter, still in this season of Easter tide where we, we remember the glory and the wonder of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Lord, may that truth continue to form us as your people. May we continue to give you praise for the grace that has been extended to each of us. Lord, because you loved us so much, you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to step into this broken world, to give of his life willingly on the cross, and then conquer death three days later. Lord, this is the gospel. And we pray, Lord, that this gospel would continue to form us and to shape us, a grace that we did not deserve, a salvation that is assured that, that we could not merit, and yet, Lord, you extended in your love to us, your children. Lord, we confess that day in and day out, we fail to live according to your good plan and good order to, as, as, as you said, Lord Jesus, to love you with all our heart, strength, and soul and mind and to love our neighbor as ourself. Lord, forgive us in those moments that, and, and, and times where we fail you, we fail those we love and we fail ourselves. 
But we thank you, God, that there is grace and there is forgiveness to continue to move forward. We pray, God, for this community of believers, not just here at Fusion, but, but Lord, across campus, the Heart Awake Ministries, Celebration and Watershed, Fusion, Lord, as, as three worshiping communities forming one church, we pray, God, that your spirit would work in us and through us so that we would more and more begin and continue to reflect the love of Jesus Christ. Lord, our world is broken. Lord, so much is broken in this world, and yet, Lord, you call us to be faithful. Lord, reveal to us what faithfulness looks like. Reveal to us where you want us to go. We pray, Lord, that we would be a community that cares for one another. For those, Lord, who have specific needs this week, we, we pray that the community of faith would surround them in love and encouragement, whether facing uncertainty about the future or whether facing surgeries this week. God, we pray that your community would surround them in love. And Lord, as we learn to love one another, Lord Jesus Christ, may that be a testimony to our world that is so divided and so polarized. Lord, may we be a testimony in this way and beyond of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Spirit, we pray that you would move in our midst, continue to speak, continue to form us and shape us, we pray. In the powerful name, of Jesus Christ and God's people say together, amen. At this time, I'd like to invite our, our kids uh, who are heading down to uh, Sunday school, children's worship, uh, to make your way over to the door. We're gonna do our children's blessing. This is a blessing not only for our kids who, who head down there, but also for those who choose to stay in worship. That is all good. Uh, and uh, as as we prepare our hearts, I'm going to invite uh, Andrew Gorder, uh, our elder, who's going to be giving a, a brief council update after we send uh, our kids off with a blessing. All right, they're still making their way. Adults, how are we feeling? Feeling good about our role? Yeah. I'm not, I'm, you're not exuding a lot of confidence. You feeling good about your role? Woo. We could do this, yeah. Kids, how are you feeling? Good. Good, all right, here we go. Adults together. The Lord be with you. All right. Got to love that energy. <laughs> Good morning, everyone.
Thank you, Andrew. I love uh, I love council updates that are like, yeah, you know. I'm sure Andrew does too. <laughs> I, I will testify to that that moment in uh, in council was was impactful, um, and I won't say more because I might start crying. Um, anyway, and and and. I was just reflecting, to, well, now I'm reflecting out loud, so this is dangerous. Wasn't planning on this, but um, it's, been, it's been two years um, since Yvonne and I came, and my first Sunday was Easter Sunday two years ago, and um, just, uh, well, <laughs> that was not me fishing for applause or anything, um, but I would, I would say just becoming part of this community um, in a lot of different, has been, has been a gift for us. Um, from Yvonne, she's in the nursery now, volunteering nursery and gems to our kids, just running around this place like it's home, because it is, uh, to Wednesday nights playing basketball and getting to know some guys and rolling my ankle. Anyway, it's all good stuff. Um, I'm, I'm learning my age, but uh, we are blessed. And um, as, as, as Andrew um, just shares that update, just thank you for continuing to partner uh, this is a partnership, and we use language covenant partnership. And, and if you're interested in learning how to connect deeply or more deeply, um, we've, we've had for a while some digital connection cards. On the bulletin, there's a QR code, and so you can scan that QR code, and you can get to a, a connection card that way. Uh, but also, we recognize that not everyone's comfortable with that, so we did bust out some, some paper copies. Pastor Sarah's got some over there. Um, so if you would rather just write on pen and paper, we have a couple at the giving box. Boxes, uh, some 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 papers there. If you want to write name, address, if you have a prayer request, if you want to get on the email list, all those things. We just want to be able to make those opportunities easy. Make sense? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. I'm Pastor JB. If you're visiting, uh, if we haven't met, would love that opportunity. We're gonna have some donuts and coffee after the service. We can do that. Uh, but we've been in a journey since September uh, through the narrative of Scripture, the story. And last Sunday was kind of the, the culmination of our story, the culmination of human history, as we remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday. It is good news. Amen. Amen. And believe it or not, we only have four weeks left in our series, The Story. And this week, we begin our next movement in the story, looking at the, the account and the testimony of the early church. Now, if you remember from our study with the Gospel of Luke, remember Luke wrote two volumes? Luke actually wrote the Gospel of Luke, but also wrote a continuation, kind of the second volume, which is the book of Acts. Right, so Luke wrote the book of Acts, and Acts testifies to the continued work of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit and lives of Jesus' disciples who carry the good news of Jesus' resurrection from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Chapter 1 of the book of Acts opens with Luke kind of summarizing. It links Acts to Luke, but summarizing the 40 days post-resurrection where Jesus appeared, Paul will tell us, appeared to hundreds of people as a risen Savior, right, proving he was alive. And then Jesus ascends to heaven. But before Jesus ascends, he says these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which really summarize the whole book of Acts. He says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
And then he ascends and, and the disciples for 10 days are just, are praying in this upper room, constantly in prayer, we're told, until the day of Pentecost, which is 10 days after the ascension. And, and the scripture we read this morning, that Joan read this morning, was, was that the first four verses of this account of Pentecost, when the, when the Holy Spirit comes in power, where the presence of God, the presence of Jesus Christ, descends as tongues of fire and rests on the disciples. The imagery is profound. You remember in the story, what does fire represent? The tabernacle, the temple, the burning bush. Fire represents the presence of God. And wind and, and fire, the presence of God descends and now dwells in the people of God, the church, right? It's a profound and powerful moment. Um, and then if you think about Acts 1 through 12, that's what we're covering in the story, is filled with all of these miraculous stories of the Holy Spirit working through the apostles, Peter and John and later Paul, to bring transformation and reconciliation and healing in people's lives, right? It's an incredible account. If you remember a couple, was it two summers ago? We, we went through the book of Acts, and it was an incredible journey. But this morning, kind of tucked right in the middle of these incredible accounts of God's spirit working and moving in powerful ways is this moment, I think, where Luke wants us to kind of just catch our breath. Because in Luke chapter 2, verses 42 and following, there's this stunning account of, of mostly rather ordinary life of the, or, of the early church. And that's going to be our focus text this morning. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Acts 2, verses 42 through 47. Luke writes this uh, immediately after 3,000 people respond uh, to Peter's sermon at Pentecost and come to faith in Jesus Christ, are, repent and are baptized. And we read this. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord, as we, as we slow our hearts, we pray, Holy Spirit, the same Spirit who, who descended from heaven and anointed the, the early disciples of Jesus Christ, Lord, that, that you, Holy Spirit, would, would open our hearts and make us receptive to all that you want us to hear. As we remember this account uh, of this first century movement of Jesus' followers, Lord, may our hearts be inspired and compelled to live into the vision of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. And amen. I guess I, I, I kind of mentioned this already, but I, I'm not sure if you, you fully realized this, uh, but last Sunday was Easter, right? And, and I don't know if you realize this, maybe you don't, but if you've ever, if ever worked in a church, like, there's a lot of buildup for Easter, right? Like Easter's kind of like 
it's a big deal, you know, and some churches are having multiple services. And so there's all this buildup. There's a lot of work and planning that go into planning Maundy Thursday and Palm Sunday and Easter Sunday, all this work and energy and excitement and anticipation. And then all of a sudden, it's over, right? And uh, full disclosure, on Monday uh, and, and maybe a little bit into Tuesday, I was just tired, okay? I was just like exhausted. It was just like, Oh, I mean, it's good. It's all good stuff. And, and on the screen, you can kind of see there's, there's a little bit of a parallel, I think, uh, because not only was last week Easter, but it was kind of the, the, the last day of what? Spring, spring break, right? Spring vacation. And so you ever have that where, where it's like you, you have all this buildup for that huge spring break trip, or maybe it's a trip some other time of the year, but there's all this planning and there's all this energy and all this anticipation and excitement and buildup, and then all of a sudden, the trip is over. And I, I, they actually, I think they have like a term for it, like post-vacation blues or something or Easter. Like, and all of a sudden, do you ever notice like the, the, the flight or the travel to the, the destination is a lot more exciting than the trip home? Anyone? Amen? Yeah, like it's like, oh, we got to come back to normal everyday life, back to work, back to school, back to kind of the daily grind. It's hard to come back from a big vacation you've planned and saved and anticipated for months. And as I was thinking about kind of this, this framework of Acts chapter 2, I was thinking about Acts Pentecost, right? Pentecost is this incredible moment Right? It's kind of like the incredible spring break trip or, or maybe in, 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 in other terms like the mountaintop spiritual experience. Have you heard that language? You go to a camp or you go to a mission trip. It's like this mountaintop experience. God is, is moving. God is, is real in ways that we've never experienced. Uh, and that's kind of like Pentecost in the first part of chapter 2. And then all of a sudden Luke just kind of stops the story and offers this summary, almost like an interlude in, in verse 42 to offer this picture of what, what everyday life in the church looked like. So you kind of have this Pentecost, this mountaintop moment, and then all of a sudden, well, here's what everyday life in the church looked like. And in verse 42, Luke offers four key practices that later on get expanded in the verses that follow. Uh, those, that verse reads this way. It's on the screen. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And each of those four things are kind of expanded on in the verses that follow. We'll kind of follow that pattern as we move forward. This morning, what I simply want to do is briefly consider each of those. The apostles' teaching, the, fellow, the fellowship, and then we're kind of combining the last two, the breaking of bread and prayer, as worship. Okay, that's going to be our journey. We're going to look at how the early church lived and held these things and how that might inform or speak into our reality today. Sound like a plan? If not, that, that's the plan. I got nothing else. So that's where we're going. All right. So first, let's begin with the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, Luke mention of the apostles' teaching gets expanded in verse 43, though it may not initially be obvious as that's what's happening. But he writes this in verse 43. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. Now, again, at first glance, it's kind of like, well, how is this connected to the apostles' teaching? Well, partly it's because of the structure and how Luke has brilliantly arranged this summary of the early church. But the other piece that links them is apostles. Apostles' teaching and these things that were done by the apostles. Now, here's, here's what I want to notice. Again, there's sermon series on these verses. Uh, but here's what I want to notice this morning. 
Notice the connection between word and deed, or teaching and action. Right? Central to the life of the early church was the apostles' teaching. I think we can say, of course. Most of us hear teaching, we immediately think of words, uh, but it's clear that words were also demonstrated by the apostles with their actions, specifically mentioned here, miraculous signs and wonders. The apostles taught and also lived the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about each. When we think about apostles teaching the words that they spoke, it's important to recognize like the apostles would not have had uh, any of the gospel accounts. Those weren't written yet at this point, the early life of the church. They wouldn't have had any of the letters of Paul, all the things that comprise the New Testament in our scriptures. But they did have the Hebrew Bible, right? And so if you remember in Luke's account, Jesus explains how all the prophets point to him. And so they have that as a base of teaching. But what else do they have? They were the apostles. They have firsthand witness testimony, right? These 12 apostles were the ones who walked with Jesus. They, were, they followed in his footsteps. So they had firsthand accounts of Jesus' own teaching, but also Jesus' life. So for, 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 for the apostles, John and Peter, like they're sharing firsthand experience. Well, well let me tell you what Jesus taught when, when he had us all sit on, on a mountain, the Sermon on the Mount. Let me tell you about some parables that Jesus taught to us. Let me tell you some accounts of what Jesus did when, when he healed this man who was born blind, when, when he, we brought healing and deliverance from this woman, right? They can, they can testify to what Jesus taught and how he lived and did ministry. And then, accordingly, Luke then shows that the apostles then lived out these teachings within the community. I kind of picture it this way, like, like let me tell you about Jesus, and this time when this man came up to him and he was blind and, and Jesus spit in them, you know, I don't know, whatever they did. But then all of a sudden they said, and that same power of God dwells within the people of God, Jesus' power. And so in Jesus' name, and they, they heal someone. Wow, right? Let me tell you what Jesus did. Let me tell you what Jesus said. And now let's show you what Jesus did and what Jesus said. Word and deed. Does it make sense? And, uh, and, and, and it produced awe among the people. Now, let's step into our context. Obviously, we live 2,000 years later in a different context, but the question that just kind of is always circulating in my heart and mind is, how does this translate to our time and our place and our context? Now, obviously, we don't have the 12 apostles, the 12 apostles living in our midst, but what do we have? We don't have them teaching, their, but we have their words and the teachings of Jesus recorded and preserved by the Holy Spirit, recorded by human agency, but preserved by the Holy Spirit in the Holy Scriptures. And so we have the word, we have the apostles' teaching preserved in the Scriptures. And so we can, we can teach the gospel. We can teach the teachings of Jesus. And, and as a church today, uh, one of our values, core values, is being gospel-centered. Why is that? Because our prayer and our hope and our aim is that our lives would be centered around the scriptures and the word, particularly the word as, as understood through the gospel, the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Gospel-centered. And it's, I, I think what we can learn here is it's not enough to simply study the word. Like We can know our Bible forward and backward, but we also it's important for us to live the word. 
In our context, that might not necessarily come in the form of miracles and signs, though, though I believe that God can move in miraculous ways today. But I don't think that's the only way that the apostles lived out the, the word of Jesus either. I think it can also come in, in the form of, of following what Jesus commanded us. Uh, for the baptism we read, the first and second greatest commandment, to love God with all our heart, to love our neighbor as ourselves. If we teach that, what does it then mean to live that out? To begin loving our neighbor. Oh, Jesus says not just our neighbor, but love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute. What would happen if we not only taught the gospel, but we also began more and more to live that out? And as I was just thinking about Acts and today, it just, it just began to brew all these questions and considerations and, 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 and ponderings and even more dreams. Because this is, this is our vision. Like we're, we're trying to be gospel-centered, to, to com- our commitment to the word, but, but how does the gospel center our life as a church? How does the gospel influence how we live in our neighborhoods and our communities? Do, do we teach, do we, do we live out the gospel in, in ways that inspire awe? And I think for us, if, if we truly embrace and live into some of the, the, the wild teachings of Jesus, because in our modern context, some of what Jesus teaches is kind of wild, like, would that maybe inspire awe among us if we loved our neighbor, if we served God? Some ponderings, some wonderings, some considerations. Let's continue. Acts 2 verse 42 reminds us that they devoted themselves not only to the apostles' teaching, but to the fellowship. Luke expands on on fellowship. All the believers, in in verse 44 and 45, all the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Now, the the Greek word here for fellowship is the word koinonia. Maybe you've heard that word. You know, church circles have kind of reclaimed that word. But koinonia is from the, the root koinos, which literally just means to share or to hold in common. So the word is translated fellowship or community or communion, but literally it just means to share life together, to share life in common. Again, just to point out one thing in this kind of expanded description of koinonia, uh, notice this, that it includes all the believers and it includes all of their lives. Notice how this koinonia is all kind of encompassing. Uh, This fellowship includes all believers. In other words, that koinonia was not like, like a, an optional piece of church life or church membership, right? Like as if you like join the church and you're like, uh, are you interested in the koinonia option, like sharing life together? Like, no, I'm, I'm kind of good. I'll pass on that. But no, 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 no. There, it wasn't an option. Like fellowship, community, communion, living together, this was, this was part of the deal. Now, some of that was the time and place. Like th- this was about survival for the early church. In a time of growing resistance and persecution, like you, you needed to depend on each other more than we even understand today. But it's important to mention, like it's all the believers and they shared all of life. They held everything in common. Now, I don't think it's that, it, it, this means that everyone sold everything they owned, right? As if this was some um, indictment against private property in general, Uh, There's evidence later in Acts that people owned homes and different things. Uh, But it does seem that that private property in the early church was not valued higher than the common well-being of the community. In other words, the priority was given to caring for others. 
Now think about that. I mean, that's radical in our context, but, but consider what that requires to live with that kind of posture. Um, it requires a high degree of love. You don't live that way if, unless you deeply love and care about the people you are living in community with, amen? It also requires a deep amount of trust, right? Because you need to be able to trust that we're all in this together and there's not someone who's kind of manipulating, whatever. Like, it requires this level of trust. And it also requires this level of humility to lay down our own needs and wants and desires for the good of others within the fellowship. Now, as I label those kind of traits of love and trust and humility, um, Sunday school answer, who does that kind of remind us of? Jesus, right? Who lived with a, a kind of love and a trust and a humility. Now again, I acknowledge we live in a, in a very different context 2,000 years later, but, but how might these kind of virtues of love and trust and humility and generosity translate to today? And I think it's about radical generosity, love and trust and humility, all those virtues. What does it mean to live into those today? Again, I don't, I don't think Acts 2 is, is like this mandate that we form modern-day communes, right? I don't think that's the mandate. But I, I think what we can glean from here is, is how might it compel us to hold more, more loosely to our possessions and things and to, to hold more tightly to one another? I think that might be the challenge. How about this question? Do do I love my brothers and sisters here in this fellowship, Fusion and Hardawake? Do I, do I love them enough that, that when a need arises within our community and we see a family struggling, that we say, you know what, I'm going to come alongside them and I'm going to offer what, what I can to help this family in need. On the flip side, because I think this might actually be a greater struggle for many of us, when I'm the one who's struggling, when I'm the one going through things that I don't really know how to deal with, do I love and trust this community enough to share with them, you know what, I need some help today. I just need to go out to coffee this morning with someone. For me, that's often the greater struggle. It requires love and trust and humility. And the question is, how do we continue to foster this kind of love and humility and trust among us so that koinonia is is less of, of this chore, right, that I feel like I have to do, and it becomes more this this gift that I feel compelled to participate in. I think that's the hope. And again, that just got me just wondering and, 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 and questioning and, and pondering and, and even dreaming because I, I think we've, we're moving in that direction, right? Like there is this spirit of community and, and love and, and people lingering around eating donuts on Sundays a little longer. And, 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 but but what, what would happen if, if we continued to, to go deeper in our commitment to love and to walk with one another? And that requires a commitment to not only step out to help, but also step out and, and be vulnerable, right? And what would that look like if we, if we lived into this? And in our, in our culture that's highly, highly individualistic, like this is radical stuff, but I'm just thinking like how do we apply these virtues in our context devoted to the fellowship? And then finally, uh, verse 
42 ends with number three and four. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and prayer. Breaking of bread is largely believed to be a reference, at least partly, to the sacrament of communion. And so when we say breaking of bread, communion, and prayer, we kind of lump that together as worship. Luke expands on these two last practices of the early church in verses 46 and 47. He says this, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now again, we could, we could explore multiple facets of worship here, such as the frequency of the sacrament or what does vibrant prayer life look like in the church. But for our purposes today, let's just, I just want you to notice two things. Notice how in the early church, worship included both public and private gatherings. The early church regularly, in fact, we're told daily, met together for worship in the temple courts. Right? They were still worshiping in the temple courts uh, as Jewish people. Uh, that was a public gathering space. But they also, were told, met in homes where a common meal was shared that included praise and prayer and, and maybe the sacrament, right? the breaking of bread. It seems that in Luke's description of the early church, uh, the understanding of worship was, was quite broad and all-encompassing. And if you think about it, that makes total sense. Because the Spirit of God, the presence of God, which was, was believed to be in the temple, has now descended from heaven, and now the presence of Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit lives in each of God's people. And so it makes sense that there would be this movement towards seeing more of life and all of life as worship. From formal settings to informal, from the, celebrating the sacrament to full-on meals, it seems like the line between sacred and common seemed to blur, and they lived into this Pentecost reality of the Spirit's inbreaking of Christ's presence among and through the communion of saints. It's this beautiful picture. Like, this is worship. What's worship? Well, this, this, this. Like, all of these things are part of our way of giving praise and honor to God. Now, as I thought about that, again, different context, but it seemed to translate uh, and, and kind of offer some corrective to some of the categories that I have typically held and helped me to begin to broaden my view of worship. And I've, you know, I think God's been doing this work in my life for a bit, but for many of us, we hear the word worship, and I still do. I'll say worship, and, and something very specific comes to mind. This, right? What we're doing on an hour on a Sunday morning that includes music and prayer and, and Bible and, and preaching and, and, and the sacrament, right? Maybe I might include like, like a night of worship, you know, that maybe I head over and watch some, wor- you know, it may, but, but worship is, is so often kind of this specific category. But the picture in Acts 2 is a life saturated with worship and prayer. And in order for this to work, we need to expand our understanding and our perception of worship, right? Too often we, we view things as either sacred or secular, right? Like we want clean categories like Christian music or secular music or Christian movies or, Christ, or secular movies or art, you know. But when we understand as, as Reformed um, folks that, the, that Jesus Christ is the Lord over all creation then would we not be surprised when, when people are able to give God glory through, through nature or even art? I, I don't know if you, you were up at this time, it wasn't that early, but like around 7 o'clock, 7.30, the, the sun was rising. I stepped out to, to come to church and i like, whoa, like just looking um, to the east and it's just this beautiful sunrise. And then I turn around, it started raining, 
and there's this rainbow in the sky to the west. And I'm just, I, I'm trying to take a picture when I'm driving. I don't recommend that, but I'm driving into church and there's this rainbow and then it became a double rainbow and I'm like trying to take a picture. Anyway, Eric, sorry. Yeah, sorry about that. Um, don't do that. But, but there's, there's, this, there's this, this beauty of God in creation. Amen? And why can't stepping out on the, on the beach during a sunset, why can't, why can't that be part of our act of worship? I think that's an, maybe an easier one, but what about even art? When God's creativity is, is being used through someone else's creativity. My mom's a painter, right? And to see someone painting and creating such beauty, like, can we give glory to God and see that as worship, right? This picture of Acts 2 is, is, is saturated with worship and prayer. And, and, I, and I just began to wonder and, and consider and, and what is this, how does this translate for us today, right? What would it, what would it look like to, to see more of my life as part of worship? Right, Paul says, pray without ceasing, right? What, is, what does that look like? What does that mean? I've, I've heard, uh, another example, I've heard of, of people who go hunting, right? And like hunting, like sitting out in the woods, in the quiet, for hours, freezing cold. Uh, anyway, I'm not a hunter. But like it's a spiritual experience. Like they, they experience God while, while in the woods hunting. Or, or another buddy out in California who, for him, like surfing, like he loves surfing. He's brought that as, as part of his ministry, like being in God's creation. What are, what are the spaces that we can reclaim and just with a subtle shift, see, God is in that. When we gather in our homes with members of the church or, or members of our community, what would happen if we, if we recognize that this is more than just a gathering of people, but, but God's spirit is present here? And what would it mean if we just simply acknowledged that and said, bless the Lord? Oh, my soul. What would it look like to have a broader understanding of worship as the church of Jesus Christ today? Pondering, questioning, dreaming. I don't know. As we think about those ponderings, I pray that the Spirit would spur something within you and, and whatever it is, how do I bring prayer, how do I bring worship into different aspects of my life? But as we think about this passage, as we draw to a close, Acts 2.42, the apostles teaching the fellowship, worship, they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching to the fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. I, I think about these simple practices that define daily life in the early church. And, and I think about the fact that they, that Luke tells us about these immediately after we hear of these miraculous events of Pentecost. Violent wind, fire descending from heaven, splitting off as, as in tongues, descending on people's heads, and then the people begin speaking in languages from all across the known world. And then Peter gets up, and, and Peter gives this incredible sermon saturated with scripture, and at the end of that, the people are like, what should we do? Repent and be baptized, he says, right? 3,000 people repent and are baptized. It's like this incredible moment. And then this description of everyday life. So I was thinking about those two things this morning, just reflecting on my own experience as a follower of Jesus. There are those moments and experiences that are like Pentecost. And, and for me, like when, when Jesus' presence was just made 
known in a powerful way. And oftentimes for me, that was when I got away from home. So as a kid, I remember mission trips and I remember going to camp. And most recently, I had the opportunity to go to Israel for, for 10 days. And, and those are all important. They're, they're great and, and we should pursue those. But as this past week, as I was reflecting on my life and my own spiritual journey, do you know what made, a, I think, a larger impact on my life? It was actually the church I grew up in. And that church is Trinity Community Church in Brown Deer, Wisconsin. My dad was a pastor. I grew up there my whole known childhood. And what do I remember from those days? I remember learning the scriptures through VBS. And we converted the whole back parking lot into a first century village. And my dad was dressed up like Jesus. I remember that. I remember going down for children's worship and these liturgical things um, the Lord be with you and also with, like I remember those things. I remember Sunday school and memorizing Bible verses. I remember being in youth group and for the first time really grasping that this gospel is not about my performance or my ability to live up to things, but it's this gift of grace and it's been taking my whole life to really wrap my head around that. But it was learning about Jesus and experiencing his love through his people. Not, not just the word, but fellowship. I, I, remember, I remember that learning that church was just not a place you go on Sunday, but as a family you belong to. And for me, it was my high school youth group that was really formative during that time of my life when our family went through some difficult kind of health scares and it was this Bible study that surrounded me and supported me when I didn't have words to say. It were dinners and bonfires at family friends' houses. I mean, believe it or not, I... I anyway, I skipped a playoff game in high school to go to a youth retreat. That's wild. I was, anyway, I wasn't planning on sharing that. There's more to that story. It wasn't all noble. Uh, I was terrible. I sat on the bench, so I said, what's, what, what's, anyway, anyway. I'm ruining my moment. But like, but like church was really important to me. And, and I learned, like, not only from the care that we received, but later on in life, asking my dad about what, what consumed his weeks. He's like, yeah, I'd go visit people all the time. I remember a story of someone bringing a casserole to, to care for us, right? I, I, I remember worship. Wor I, learned a, I learned to worship as a high school student when, when I learned to play the guitar and I led worship at youth group and I learned to love to sing. I remember going across the country, seeing different parts of the world and seeing God in creation, the badlands of South Dakota, the mountains of Wyoming. And one time a youth leader got us up in the middle of the night because we were clowning around and he said, come with me, guys. And we go outside and what did he do? He just had us watch a thunderstorm roll in across the campgrounds. I remember these things. It was those experiences and more that I realized is part of being part of a church community. I'm so grateful for that. And, and before you, th like, yes. There were a ton of broken and, and weird people at my church, like myself, like I'm, right? We were broken, we were messed up, we did the wrong thing, we said the wrong thing, but you know what? We, for the most part, many people stuck around to figure it out, to work through those differences, and there's beauty in that. And so I was just reflecting, you know, a few moments ago, we, we made promises to this little girl. As a church, we made promises. And we made those promises to all of our children. And these are promises that we make together. And I think it's so beautifully captured in that French Reformed liturgy. These are the words that we spoke 
to continue to tell you, and I'll add, and show you the good news until it becomes your own. See, this week I was realizing that those, those promises are, are fulfilled in the big and spectacular kind of Pentecost experiences, but those are important, but I, I really think it's in the ordinary faithfulness and the Holy Spirit working through broken people like you and like me that truly is how we show and tell the good news of the gospel. The key word in that text, verse 42, is they devoted themselves, right? They set their mind on a direction and they went. Long obedience in the same direction. Keep at it. We mess up, we keep going. It's about pursuing faithfulness together. And guess what? It's not up to us. It's the spirit at work in us and through us. And in that way, I think we begin to fulfill the promises we've made, not only to our children, but to each and every one of us. Let's pray and ask the Spirit to do, continue that work in our lives. Will you join me? Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this account of the early church. And Lord, sometimes it's, it's easy to, to read this account, this summary, and, and maybe we, the temptation is to kind of to glamorize what the church was or glamorize and idealize what the church could be. But as the rest of the scriptures account, and, and Paul's letters especially tell us, is that living this way, living as, as people centered on the word, as people committed to doing life together with our hearts directed towards you in worship is, is messy and it's hard and it's imperfect. And yet, that is where your spirit descended and rested. And so Lord, I pray that, that as you challenge us, as you help us to dream and imagine about what, what that looks like today at Hardwike Ministries, at Fusion more specifically, Lord, that you would inspire, that you would move, but that through it all, you'd remind us of this gospel of grace that shapes us and frames us. That Lord God, you love us, that you call us your own you've given your life on behalf of us. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I invite you to stand.
Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. Amen. Go in peace. So let